That's good news, amen? Amen. That's good news, amen? If you're a kid out there, just give me a whoop. Uh, let's try again. I'm going to have to do this with the adults, too, because I think we need to wake you guys up a bit. Uh, kids, if you're out there, give me a whoop. All right, good. I want you to know that I see you, and we do this thing once a month where you invite kids to be in this room with us. And uh, part of that, a big part of that, is we see you as a part of our church family. So, uh, you know, um, good? Okay. Um, we're glad that you guys are here with us today, and I see you out there. I'm, I'm watching you. Okay, I see you guys. No, uh, I'm, I'm going to actually interact with you guys a little bit today, and I have a challenge for you, all right? I'm going to be throwing out four words today, all right? And out of those four words, I want you to capture the four words, okay, what they were, and then I want you to give me an antonym of those four words. Does anybody know what an antonym is? Someone in school know what an antonym is? What's an antonym? opposites, right? So I want you to write a word down with each of the words I give you, because these are going to be big words you're going to be able to impress your friends with, and I want you to give me an opposite word, okay? Because each of these words is going to be something that gets in the way of belonging, um, and so we're going to be talking about what's the opposite, okay? I want you guys to come up with those opposite words, and then when you go home tonight, I want you to talk about how do we, as a family and as individuals, do the opposite word, okay? How do we live in such a way that we do the opposite word? Does that make sense? All right. Um, it's going to be interactive today. Right? We've got a bit of a smaller crowd in the house. I think some people are up uh, at Middletown today, and so, and you guys know it's going to be a bit of a dialogue. So um, please continue to laugh at my jokes and continue to, uh, you know, all of those kinds of things, and, uh, and we'll all do better for it. But um, here's the deal. How many of you guys, kids especially, like I know you guys, have you ever taken road trips before? Uh, I just got back from a road trip, and uh, let's see real quick, just it, from the entire room is, is being pulled here, how many of you, because I think there's really just two camps, love road trips, would rather take the plane, okay? So where are my road trip people? Like, where's the road trip all day, all right? Uh, now, how many of you would rather fly? Like, if I could just get there, okay, I get, I get sides for both. I thought that, like, um, having kids would turn me into a, I'm not a road trip person, but I still love the road trip. You know, I get excited for it. One of the things that's an essential on a road trip, if you know this, if you don't know this, write this down, kids, this is important. You gotta have a good road mix, all right? That's what we called it back in my day, a mix. You get a mixtape, all your favorite songs. Bottom line, you got the road trip song. So if you could pick one song that's your road trip song, all right, that you would just play on repeat. And this is how we do it in our car. Like, we have songs, according to our kids, that just never get old. Like, let, let's play that one again, all right? So what's the let's play that one again song? Name your song, tell somebody around you real quick, uh, and then we'll carry on. All right, I want to see if anybody happens to have the same road trip song we do. Um, and this is one that, it's just, it's catchy, and it's, it becomes our road trip song, and it's been living in my brain since the road trip, and it's a song by a guy named Walker Hayes, and it's Fancy Like. You know this song? Anybody know this song? Fancy Like Applebee's on a date night. I won't sing the rest, but you know where I'm going, right? And it's an ironic song because there's nothing fancy about Applebee's 
on a date night, right? But that's the cool part about it. So here's question number two. Are you a fancy like Applebee's on a date night, kind of fancy, or are you a fancy like I like to dress up, go to a nice restaurant, gentlemen in the room pay attention to where your, your girl, you know, is at on this scale, but some of you like to dress up. You like, maybe another scale would be like uh, cowboy boots are like my dressiest dress shoe, to I got, I got a shoe for every occasion, kind of fancy, all right? We're, we're doing the fancy scale here, so where do you rate on the fancy scale? I would rather just go to Applebee's kind of person or give me the fanciest restaurant in town. I'll, I'll put the tuxedo on or whatever, right? So just somewhere in that scale, one to 10, where are you, okay? So just tell somebody next to you. I appreciate how there's some very serious dialogue happening right now. Like, we're really getting into this question. I like it. Now, I don't know if you could have guessed this, but I'm more on the side of, and let's see who's kind of with, I'm more on the side of Applebee's on a date night, all right? Give me the best burger in town. I don't care. Like, I like a good steak, but wherever's got the best burger, it doesn't have to be fancy. Like, Quatman Cafe is a place that I frequent, and uh, they have one of the best burgers in town. And so that's, that's me. How many of you are like, I like the nice restaurant. I like to dress up. It's okay. It's okay. None of you are like, okay, we got, one, we got a fancy guy in the back, all right? So uh, I actually have a Jags gift card. For, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> thanks for owning up. All right. Well, um, I told, I, I had a point. Yeah, I really did. Just give me a second to regather myself here. But um, so when we think about sort of the table, right, we've been talking about this idea of the table. How many of you guys know, fancy or not fancy, that there's actually table etiquette? Did anyone know this? Like there's, there's etiquette, like especially at the fancy restaurants, you feel the pressure more. Now, the only reason I know good table etiquette is because I worked in hospitality prior to, you know, being a pastor. I was like, you know, I did banquets. I did fancy dinners. But I was the guy like serving the fanciness, you know, so, but I had to set the tables and there was a proper way to set the table, there's a proper way to do all the things. And so this is kind of where my background is in fancy. And so I know some of these things, but I want to give you a quick fancy test really quick. All right. So just to see how fancy you are and see how uh, good you are at table etiquette. All right. So a um, couple of questions for you. All right. I have it right here. This was out of Southern Comfort Magazine. Food is always passed to the left, true or false? How many of you think that food is always passed to the left? Raise your hand. How many of you think that food is always passed to the right? Raise your hand. Many of you did not vote. I took note of that. You're like, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not weighing in. Food is actually always passed to the right. Did you know this? So I've been doing it wrong. I just like whatever's more convenient. Now, there is an exception to this rule, actually, if the person is just two seats to your left that's calling for the dish, you can break the rule and go, to the, rather than having to work your way all around the table. Like, wouldn't that be something like, all right, hey, can I get, yeah, just go ahead and just work it around, you know? So you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Uh, what about this one? Cutting your food into bite-sized pieces at the beginning is acceptable table etiquette. True or false? Is that acceptable? Raise your hand if you think that's true. Some of you aren't biting, no pun intended. False. Yeah, it's not acceptable. But I'm like, I think it's like, it's a strategy, right? It's all about efficiency. Like, let's get it all cut ahead of time, ready to go. Then I can just focus on eating. But that's not true. Um, using both hands is acceptable. 
when you're using your utensils. So using like, you know, fork, knife, and just continuing to kind of do this thing. Is that acceptable? I just made that one up. I don't think it is. I think you're supposed to like cut with your knife, put down the knife, and actually take a bite. Uh, I'll have to check on that one. That one wasn't in here. Um, How about this one? Um, This one should be pretty easy, uh, potentially. You, You should excuse yourself when leaving the table. Is that true or false? You should excuse yourself when leaving the That is actually true, which is interesting, right? Like, where else do you announce, hey, guys, I'm leaving. I'll be right back, you know? Like, it's like, am I, what if I'm, like, briefly exiting? Like, I just got to go, like, I got to tell people where I'm going, right? Because that's, it's just interesting. Some of these customs are interesting to me. But, yes, you should announce when you're leaving the table. Um, it is polite to ignore or interrupt others. This is not a trick question, okay? It's polite to ignore or, this is a true question in there. It's, it's not polite, okay? Just in case you're wondering, it's not polite to ignore or interrupt others. And some of you are like, I don't care what the rules are. You know, like, I'm going to break all those rules anyway. I don't care. Uh, and this is another one. Eating before the host sits down is a way of saying thanks for the food. <laughs> true or false? That's false, right? Some of you are like, but I'm just so excited about it. True. Yeah, I like your enthusiasm over there. It's not. So here are some of the... Cu- cultural things, some of the customary things, just in case your next time at your fancy dinner, you can uh, pay attention to these things. Now, why all this talk about table etiquette? As we talk about the table, as we talk about really the table as this picture of, and it's frequently a picture of uh, a depiction that Jesus uses of the kingdom of God, is this table. And that we're humanity around the table, right? And that often the kingdom of heaven and and the the future kingdom is really just seen as this banquet table, this feast, right? And so as we talk about that, there actually are some good practices when it comes to God's table. In fact, there's actually some things that culturally and customary sometimes run in contrast to what should be good etiquette for the table. Now, first we got to know what the goal of the table is. When it comes to the kingdom table, when it comes to coming around the table and in terms of that depiction of the table, what is the goal of the kingdom table? In a word, it's belonging. It's belonging. God invites us to the table. He wants us to be in his presence, and he wants us to belong with him, but he also wants us to belong with one another. And so if we could simplify it down, the whole point of this entire series is this idea of belonging. And by the way, these are our new shirts here. You belong here. And my hope is that, and I feel like it always has been the case here, but that we send this message in more ways than just a slogan on a shirt. That this really is a place, and of all places, this should be the place where people can belong. 2013, there was this study done, Friendship in America, a crisis of confidence, and it found that 75% of respondents were unsatisfied in their relationships. 75% of people. Meanwhile, in How We Gather, another recent report on the spiritual life of young people, it was found that traditional religion struggles to attract young people. Millennials are looking elsewhere with increasing urgency. And so let's put those two things together. What we're finding is people are just looking to belong. They're not finding belonging. 75% of people would say they don't belong anywhere. And of that 75%, these two are sorry, unconnected, but then additionally to that, the last place it seems that people are looking is within the church. And so the question is, why is that? And how can we turn the tide? How can we be a place that fosters and cultivates belonging? If that really is the goal of God's table is that more people could come to the table, how do we make sure that we don't get in the way? Now, I love Jesus because he wasn't scared to pick a fight. 
is one of my favorite things about Jesus. Kids, as you know that, like, Jesus was not scared to pick a fight if it was for the right thing. And we see him doing this all the time, especially with the religious leaders. It was interesting, you know? It was like, sort of like he was picking a fight with the pastors of the day. Like the ones that, this is, he'd be picking a fight with like me, or he'd be picking a fight with those of you that have kind of been on the bus the longest, you know? Like that have been kind of rooted spiritually. These are the ones in society that Jesus had the biggest issue with. And, and we'll find out here in, in just a minute why maybe that was. But he basically goes to a dinner party. He's invited to dinner. And he breaks just about every custom and cultural norm that was at the dinner. He breaks all the etiquette. You know, he kind of throws that out. Because what he is trying to, to point out, as we'll see here in just a minute, is that many of the customs of the day in the Greco-Roman culture, um, which, by the way, everything was central around the table in the Greco-Roman culture. Like, they didn't have, like, main event or Dave and Buster's. Like, that's where we get together to be social it was the table. Like, that's what they had, you know? They're not all going out bowling or anything. Like, we're coming to the table, and it was these feasts, and it was these table moments that really were the social epicenter of society. And so what Jesus is doing here is not unimportant when he's challenging the way that people gathered together. And so he gets invited to the party, and he uses this as an opportunity to just throw a hand grenade into all the customs of the day. And so I just appreciate that about Jesus. It would never be boring to be around him because he had no problem picking a fight if it was the right fight. And so here's what we read. We're going to read through this whole section and then just pick it apart here just a little bit. It says, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat, uh, Luke 14, if you've got a Bible, you can look. Or it'll be, um, we'll look at some of this on the screen here just a bit. Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. He was being carefully watched. And there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and he sent him away. Then he asked, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? Seems like a straightforward question. They had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast... Do not take the place of honor, for, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited you will come to you and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take a less important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes to you, he will say to you, friend, make, come up and move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted." Then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, I don't know if you noticed what just happened here, but Jesus literally just put the entire party on blast, <laughs> group by group, right? So he started out, he just pointed out some things, but here's something to kind of note first off. Kids, here's where your first, or your, uh, first word is going to come in. I want you to think about an antonym for this word. The first word is inconsistency. This is the first barrier to belonging. When we think about setting a culture and creating a culture of belonging, the first is inconsistency. Notice here, this very first line, it says, when Jesus went to eat in the house of the prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully what? It's not a trick question. It's right there. Watched, right? He was being watched. They were watching him. And by the way, they were always watching Jesus. 
The Pharisees and the religious leaders were watching him. They were looking to find him, do something inconsistent or something that amounted to blasphemy or that something that didn't really was sort of something where he wasn't practicing what he was preaching. And so they were looking for that every moment of every day. Other people were watching him because they were so compelled by him that they were drawn to him and they wanted to learn more and there was just this gravity about Jesus. And so people were always watching Jesus. And this was such an interesting thing. Now, when we think about sort of our role and our importance in that, what does that mean for us when it comes to um, how we um, are to create a culture of belonging? Why does inconsistency matter? Because you're being watched. You're being watched. In your family, you're being watched. With people around you, you're being watched. You might not realize it or think anything of it, but you are being watched. I, uh, on this road trip that we just took. So the, the way out on the road trip, and kids, I don't know if you feel this or not, but like when I'm driving on the road trip, I'm going to the beach or wherever, or wherever, I'm, I'm like pumped. You know what I mean? Like I'm excited. That road trip's fun. It seems to fly by. And then the week comes to an end, you wake up early that morning, your parents throw you in the car, and you're like, ah, uh, and like a little bit like into the car ride, you're like, this is never going to end. Like the ride back, there's no anticipation, except like we got to go home, we got to unpack our luggage, we got to go back to school. And so there's no excitement, there's just the long journey home. Ten hours was the drive, okay? Now, we're driving along, and all of a sudden, like I'm watching the little, you know, and I see it as a time to beat, you know, but it's really just like what time you think you're going to arrive. And, uh, they t- and I'm like, wait, the time to arrive just changed, like, dramatically, like, hours long. And I'm like, what happened? And Jess and I are kind of debating this. I'm like, babe, I think it's rerouting us. We need to go this other way. And she's like, no, 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 I think it's just messed up, whatever. All right, we'll stick on. And then all of a sudden, I see this sign, and it basically says, highway closed is essentially what it says. This is all lanes blocked, right? And I'm like, this is bad news. And then we're looking at that little dark red line, the line of death on the, the maps, you know, and it's like, this thing is carrying on forever. And I'm looking at like our time, it's gone up two hours. And I'm like, two hours of just sitting in the car, you know, like we're all going to lose our minds. We're only an hour and a half in at this point. I'm like, this is not good, you know. So our 10-hour drive is now a 12-hour drive, and we're just watching minutes. And we're watching people get out of the car and like go use the woods. Like, I mean, this is a bad, like nobody's moving. We're like, this is not good. I'm, I'm, you know, we're trying to keep morale up in the car, but we're losing that ability. And so like it just, it, and it was about an hour and a half, and finally we get moving again. And right at that point, we're just tired, you know, and it's kind of the, when are we going to be there, you know, and we're like, I don't know, you know, I want to know too, but like, we're driving, and then we get about up to Knoxville, and we're like, I feel like we have been driving for days, and we're like still like five, six hours away from home, and it was at that point in time that I started seeing these signs with a little beaver on them. How many of you guys have heard of this place, Bucky's? You know what, some of you know what I'm talking, I've never heard of Bucky's before, but like there's these signs with this beaver and it just says cool things like potty like a rock star and it's like best restrooms in the universe and something like that, you know, and I'm like, what? Like how can they make that claim? And then you drive, I mean, every like couple miles is another sign and it says, you know, beef jerky bar and I'm like, what? Like beef jerky bar? And then I see another one that says, you know, stop here for brisket, you know. And it keeps saying this many miles away, this many. I mean, like, all the sodas you could possibly dream of. Stuff like that on the sign. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I don't even know what this place is or what it, I, like, what is it? Like, it just sounds like the promised land. 
And at this point in our journey, we are just a bunch of weary travelers. And so we are now rejuvenated in the fact that there is maybe a destination that will make all of our dreams come true. And so word is setting out, and we're watching these, and every sign is like more compelling than the last. And we're like, I don't know what's going to happen on this trip, but we're going to Bucky's, you know? And so we pull into Bucky's, and I'm like, this, is this going to be totally disappointing? It was not disappointing. You pull into Bucky's, there's more gas, it's a convenience store, by the way. It's like a Walmart of convenience stores. There's more gas pumps than like there is in the state of Ohio. Like, I mean, just all, in, and they're all full, and people are pulling up to this place. I go in, and I just like, I'm breathing in all these wonderful smells immediately. There's all this hustle and bustle and excitement in the room. And then all of a sudden, I hear somebody yell out, brisket on the board, like that. And everybody's like, yee-haw, like they're like all so excited about it. And I'm like, and they're cutting up brisket, and I walk over, and there's this deli counter that's like, and it's all beef jerky. I'm like, I don't eat, I'm so overwhelmed right now. I don't even know where to begin. And then you look back on the back wall, any soda you possibly could want. Kids, I'm telling you, you're going to want to stop there, okay? There's everything. And then there's treats, and literally every kind. They had these little beaver nuggets that they called them, and it was like candy corn. Like, I don't even know. Like, we spent $100 at a gas station, all right? So Bucky's has got the business model down. Like, ladies, I'm telling you, coffee, you fix your, like, every kind of milk you could possibly want, even some milks that I think haven't even been invented yet for the general public. Like, it was just, like, all right there. And so we were so, like, we, were, we just hung out there. Like, we were just like, I got a burrito, we got food, like, all this stuff. We just had a great time. And what I say that to say is for some weary travels, it was exactly what we needed at Richmond, Kentucky. We still had two more hours to go, but it was like, let's go. Like, and so we had all those treats, we packed up, and we went. I tell that you that long story, not only because I want you to shop at Bucky's, but they didn't pay me for this, but it was the billboards that got me. I mean, I'm tell- I knew nothing about this place, but I was so compelled. And by the way, when it said potty like a rock star, I'm talking like you have your own private suite when you go to the bathroom. There is a door, and it's a full room. You just go in there, and it's like, Bloop, you know? Like, that doesn't happen at convenience stores. Like, this is totally unprecedented, you know? But it was the billboards that got me. They were so compelling that I'm like, I just have to see if this is true. Like, I, I just got to go to see if this is everything that's being advertised. Now, I say all that to say this. You're being watched. Who's the billboard? You're the billboard. You're the billboard. And the question is, as the body of Christ, as the people of Jesus, we are the billboard for the table. We are the ones that are going to help people determine if they even want to come to the table. And so the reason why consistency matters is because if we're not advertising who Jesus actually is and what a life in Jesus actually looks like, things like love and joy and kindness, the way we treat other people, the way we operate in relationship with other people in the relationships under our roof, if people aren't looking at our life and saying, like, what's different about them? Like, something's compelling, something's different. You're the billboard. And what happens is that consistency is what builds curiosity. Consistency is what stirs curiosity, which makes people say, man, I don't know what that Jesus guy's all about, but I'm interested in checking out the table. Like, I just want to go there. I just want to see. And we get to be the ones to direct, and Jesus gets to be the, ones, the one to deliver, you know? 
And I don't just mean that in the deliverance sense, but he gets to like, we get to say like, no, this is actually true. It is life-changing. It is transformative. And I'm one because I, I can say that because I've experienced it. I'm not perfect, but God has changed my life. And then they get to go and experience that and get a taste of that for themselves. And it's not our job to deliver on that. It's just our job to direct people toward Jesus and let Jesus do the hard work of deliverance. And that's the beauty. That's really what we're called to. And it is in our consistency, the consistency of our life, what we practice, what we preach, that stirs curiosity. So word number one, first barrier is inconsistency. The Bible says that we're a city on a hill collectively as a community. What does that mean? It means we're, we're being watched. We're the billboard. We're a city on a hill. It can't be hidden. So are we advertising something that's consistent with who Jesus actually is and what he actually desires for people? The second barrier is this, self-righteousness. Now, Jesus calls this out in a different kind of way. Um, he demonstrates the first by his example, but the second he calls out very specifically when he sees this man in front of him who's come in and very clearly in need of healing. Nobody else is making any move to heal this man, but Jesus asks a question because he knows exactly why nobody's trying to help this man. It's Sabbath. We don't do work on the Sabbath. This was the religious rule. This was the standard of the day. This was the reason why Jesus was asking the questions because you don't do any work on the Sabbath. I don't care how good of work it is. You don't do any work on the Sabbath. And what Jesus was doing here is he wasn't actually defying the law itself. He was defying an actually a bad interpretation of the law. And he was about to point out to them that this is bad interpretation. You guys are making the law as something rigid. But you're making a minor thing a main thing here. And so he, he exposes them by asking them the question, hey, how about this guy? Should we heal him? Is it, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So it's about to be an object lesson. No, nobody said anything. And that's, I mean, he's just saying, like, nobody, nobody has any objection. Okay, heals the man, goes on, and then he knows their thoughts after he just did that. And so he, no, he, uh, he, he noticed their thoughts, and so then he asked them a follow-up question. Hey, guys, tell you what, if one of your child, if one of your children falls into a well on the Sabbath day, are you going to wait till tomorrow to get him out? What about your ox, your livelihood? It's an interesting, like, child and ox, right? It's connection to the Old Testament and, and, and some of the law that was written that they misinterpreted. But it's an interesting connection, right? It doesn't matter. You would get your ox out. Of course you're going to get your child out on the Sabbath. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. And so Jesus was exposing that their religion was actually inhibiting people from experiencing a relationship with Jesus. And it was their traditions, it was their norms, it was their interpretations that were bad interpretations and they were getting in the way. And sometimes, a couple times, Jesus basically flat out called these religious leaders out and he said, you guys shut the kingdom of God in people's faces. You don't welcome them in. It's meant to be, this book is meant to be a doorway into life as it was meant to be experienced. It's not meant to be a door that we shut in people's faces. When we get this self-righteous air about ourselves, we shut people off from the very life-giving source that is transformative in their life. And so self-righteousness is a barrier. I love what Brennan Manning says. He says this. He says that the rabbi, Jesus, implores us, don't you understand that discipleship is not about being right or being perfect or being efficient? It's about the way that you live with each other. In every encounter, we either give life or we drain it. There is no neutral exchange. We enhance human dignity or we diminish it. The success or failure of a given day is measured by the quality of our interest and compassion toward those around us. Kids in the room, you can start that right now. 
if you think about the fact that every exchange you have with another one of your classmates or friends, it's not neutral. You're either elevating someone, you're either breathing life into them, or you're draining life from them. I remember with our kids, they taught, are you being a bucket filler, right? Are you being a bucket emptier, you know? Like, what is it? Are you adding value to the people around you? And when we get into this self-righteous mode, we're diminishing, we're draining value from others because we're boasting in ourselves, which really kind of naturally flows into the next point and really the next barrier, which is entitlement. Now, you have to know about the Greco-Roman culture. Like I said, it was all built around social status. It was all built around the epicenter of the table. But they had this sort of honor-shame society. Honor was everything in this society. And honor was a lot of times just something that you inherited, like in terms of like whatever your family line is, whatever profession they were a part of, whatever happened. And so they were, those, there was this sort of like long line of honor. And then there, if you weren't in the honor, you know, the honored category, you were shamed. And this, nowhere was this more prevalent than like at a feast, specifically a wedding feast. And so Jesus uses this example because what would happen in these traditional settings or these ancient settings is they would kind of bring everybody in and there would be like assigned seating. It's almost as if you were kind of marched in and you're like, okay, we're going to put the most important person here and we're going to work on down to the least important. Some of you guys are out and back with the kids' table with some chicken nuggets. You know, this was kind of the, the way that it worked. And so there was, they were honoring, but at the same time, they were discounting and shaming others, usually to the benefit of themselves. And so Jesus is now about to call that out because he sees something happening as he's, he's, he's talking about some of these things. And he's now watching. He turns his attention from the Pharisees and just looks at the general group. And he's like, you know, hey, guys, when, um, you know, when you get invited to a wedding feast, and this, the funny thing is this is probably happening as he's telling this parable. He's like, I got a parable for you guys now. And so they're all trying to get the best seat. Like, let's shuffle into the best seat. I got to get the best seat, you know? And they're doing this whole thing, and Jesus calls it out. Now, the example I would have here for this, um, and, and kids, maybe this is still happening for you. It was for me back in the day. But the place that this happened more than anything else for me is the school bus. And, and here's the, the school bus is, we all knew back in our day, back seat. Those were the, those were the best seats. And only sixth graders got the back seat. Like, you, you had to earn that seat. You know, I had however many years on the bus before I got to sit in the back seat, but that was the seat. No first grader better be sitting in my seat. You know, and this was kind of how, this was sort of the social, you know, paradigm of the day. And so here's what's happening. It's a very similar thing. It's funny how we don't age out of these things, but we still kind of have the same thing. Like, I should be honored. You know, like, I, I need to be put at that. There's this entitlement. Like, I deserve a good seat. And so they're shuffling around. But Jesus says, listen, those, when you come into the house, you shouldn't try to take the highest seat. You should take a low seat because here's the logic of that. It's way more honorable to be asked to move up than to be asked to move down. Can you imagine that? You're like, man, I, I think I'm pretty special. Like, I'm going to sit by the host. Like, uh, Sir, that's not your seat, you know? That's pretty embarrassing, isn't it? And this is Jesus' point. He's saying, listen, those who humble themselves will be the ones that are exalted at God's table. Those that exalt themselves are the ones that are going to be humbled. And so humility is this quality that is expected at God's table. But not only is it expected, it's what helps propel belonging. When we operate with humility, that means none of us, you know, look around and we're like sort of have this sense of, because truthfully, here's where that kind of relates to us. It's usually the ones that have been around the longest, not necessarily duration-wise, but we sort of, we've, we've kind of cut our teeth on Christianity from a very young age, and so we feel like we've kind of adopted this special spiritual status, and we sort of lose the fact in the middle of that that all of us receive this simply as a gift, not because of 
the family that we were born into or anything else. It's a gift of Jesus. And this is where the Israelite or the, uh, the spiritual leaders struggled because they felt like because they were part of God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, we got spiritual status. We got spiritual seniority. Like these seats in the back, these are our seats. And so this is where this became a problem for them is that they felt like they had some advanced status here. And they felt like because of that, they could look down on other people and they were in and other people were out. And so this is how it went. This is what Jesus was calling out. And so we have to get past this place where we feel like we have some special spiritual status, even if it's subconscious sometimes, even if we, it leads us to look down on somebody else, right? It's on the outside and say, man, wish they would get it together. You know who really is good at not doing that? People that have been there. People that have struggled. People that maybe haven't felt like they inherited it, but they're like, man, like I, I need this just as much. This is just as much a gift as anything else. In fact, when we remember that the ground is level, as they say, at the foot of the cross, it totally just cuts entitlement off at the beginning. I got nothing to be entitled about. Without Jesus, my life's a mess too. Like, I, I know, I've lived that. Without Jesus, man, I, I don't know what I would do. And it's just simply this gift that he's given me. This is the essence of the gospel, that I don't inherit some spiritual status. It's given to me. I'm, I'm invited to the table, but here's the deal. I don't belong on God's property, let alone at his table. He's too good. He's too perfect. He's beyond my reach. But because of what Jesus has done, I can have a seat at the table. So none of us has a reason to to be entitled in the kingdom of God or at God's table. It's a gift. And so it makes it a lot easier for us then to relate to people and to connect with people and be like, man, trust me, I know. I've messed up too. I've I've experienced it too, but there's this beautiful gift found in Jesus, and that's the only reason I'm even able to sit sit here. I'm not trying to take some superior seat at the table. I'm not trying to say look at them or do this us versus them thing. I don't do that. Because my seat at the table is ultimately a gift. Here's the last word for you guys, exclusivity. I remember when we were making weddings, sending out wedding invitations, and um, you would have to kind of like, based on the venue or based on the size of the wedding that you were doing, like figure out who's on, who's off. You know, like the guest list. It's like, all right, you know, and there's kind of like the chopping block down here. Like, okay, like who, you know, these people are kind of in the middle. Like, I don't know. Should I invite them? Should I not? uh, Should I not? Aunt Edna. She gives great gifts. She's staying on the list, you know, this kind of thing. Uncle Remus, that dude was a jerk to me last year, off the list, you know, this kind of thing. Like this is, you kind of have to do this. You got this, you know, this short little list and you have to, but here's the beauty of the kingdom of God. Here's the beauty of God's table. There's always more room at God's table. We don't have to do that. We don't have to decide who should be in, who should be out. We just got to continue to send out invitations, continue to invite people into community with us, invite people into belonging with us. Now, notice what's happening here. He's calling out the host of the party now. And who's the host, by the way? That's all of us. If you're part of this church, I've said from the very beginning, we're all part of the welcome team. Not just here, but out in the community, the places that we are, we're all part of that. So we're all the host. And so he's calling out the host by saying, listen, Don't just invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. Because there's benefit in you. That's the reason you're doing it. If you do that, they're going to repay you. But here's what you should do. You should invite the forgotten. You should invite the marginalized. You should be thinking about all the people that everybody else is leaving off their guest list and figure out a way to include them onto your guest list. 
And this is what he's saying. But we have this tendency, don't we? It's kind of our human nature to associate with those that are easy and comfortable for us, people that like the things that we like, people that laugh at our jokes. That was a good opportunity for you to laugh, but you missed it. Um, That bring perks to the relationship, right? People that can up my social status, further my brand, people that I look cool around, people that boost my career. I could go on, right? But these are the people that we tend to surround ourselves with. And Jesus is not saying we can't have friends. Jesus is not saying that we can't have relationships that benefit us in some way. When he says, do not invite, he really means don't only invite. We need to get out of our comfort zone. I'll still remember this, the last story I'll tell, and we'll begin to wrap up here. But I remember when we were early on in student community, we didn't have a home yet, place for students to go. We met in coffee shops, and one of the first coffee shops we met was a kid coffee down here. Um, and we, it was a cool little building. It was that building down on, on the road down here. You can see where there's like a bunch of windows. And we just hung out. We were doing game night in there, and I still remember it. We're having this great time, laughing, having a good time. And it's kind of bright in that building, and it's sort of dark on the outside, and I look out, and there's kind of like, there's like a few kids like outside, just like looking in, like, what's going on in there, like interested by it? And I didn't think anything of it, and we just continued to play. And then I watched one of our leaders go out, walks out of the door into the dark. He connects with these kids, and he's talking to them. He's saying, come on, he invites them in. And they join in on what we're doing. And it's just, it was this great, great moment. And I'll never forget that moment. It's just like it sits with me, because in my mind, I thought, you know what? Nobody should ever have to be on the outside looking in. Nobody should ever have to be on the outside looking in. Now, they could have said, no, I don't want to come in. That's totally fine. But everybody should get an invitation to the table, especially the forgotten, especially the marginalized. Who is it that nobody else is inviting that you could say, man, why don't you come inside? Here's the challenge that I want to attach to this. This is the truth about it. This is going to sound really simple. Kids, this is really simple. If we want people to feel welcome inside, we have to go outside. This is one of the biggest challenges in the church. Why? We got this nice community here. We got people we like, right? We could be real comfortable. We could have our little Christian country club right here, right? And it wouldn't, it wouldn't make us uncomfortable at all. But if we want to help people out there feel welcome in here, we've got to go out there. If we want people to feel welcome on the inside, it's going to take all of us getting uncomfortable and going outside. It's going to take sacrifices. It's going to take us being willing to be that person that does that. Kids, it's going to take you being that person. Be like, who at my school is forgotten? Who at my school, you know, doesn't have a lot of other friends? And just saying, you know what? I'm going to be that person. I'm going to get uncomfortable. I'm going to say, see you later to some of my friends for a day so that I can connect with some of these kids, right? And this is what we're called to do as believers in Jesus who, who himself invites us to the table. Let's finish with this. We celebrate today a historical moment in the life of Axis Church. Uh, as David said, it's our 13th birthday, and here's what I love that we get to celebrate on our 13th birthday. We've always said that we're going to be a reproducing church. What does that mean? It means that we're, gonna, we're willing to get uncomfortable, which, by the way, if you haven't been a part of this process of planting this church up here and really at any level, it was an uncomfortable process. It was. It would have been a lot easier for us to invest all of our time, energy, staff, all of it right here and say, let's build this bigger. Let's, let's put some money into this building. Let's make this building bigger. But we see the value in saying we're going to be a church that reproduces, that has babies. Why? Because if we can, can plant a church here, plant a church here, plant a church here, we have the ability to, through presence alone, reach a whole lot more people and make sure that more people get the opportunity to sit at the table with us. 
And so our strategy isn't like, let's just build this big thing, but to say, how can we join God in his thing, wherever that might be? And so today we celebrate God doing a really cool thing as they meet together in Middletown. And I want to thank you guys for the, the part you've played in that process. We're going to watch a little video.